I have uh, looked forward to this day with great anticipation because of what God is allowing us to do. And um, it is just like our God to say to a world that would analyze us to death, you can't do that in Albany, Georgia. It's just like our God to say, well, just watch me do it. Because what God is doing, we can't take credit for because it's bigger than us. It is beyond our capacity individually, but collectively in obeying God, it is possible for us to do the impossible and make it Him possible, to think others instead of ourselves. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to just look at one verse, Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. Why meet the need matters. Why does this matter? Why should we do this? Why should we take this step? Why should we continue to obey God in these areas of our lives? And, and as was already said, whether it's the widow's might or, or a large gift, over and above giving is making all of this possible. This is not, what you saw today is not what happens just because of our budget. It's because of our over and above giving to say, we want to change the world from Albany, Georgia. Esther 4 and verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. I want us to realize and embrace the opportunities that are before us. We can buy the negative that says, Albany's bad, it's got a lot of this, it's got a lot of that. So does Atlanta, Amen. and so does New York City, and so does New Orleans, and so does Orlando. Just because the only thing you see in Orlando is Disney World doesn't mean it doesn't have problems. Every town's got problems. You just decide what you want to look at and you decide what you want to address. There are opportunities for us that are amazing in this town to do things that could not be done if we were not obedient to what God has called us to do. We are not responsible for what any other church does. We are responsible and will stand accountable before God for what we do with what God has given us and how God has blessed us. And why it may be overwhelming to many, I embrace the challenge of what God has called us to. I love it, I enjoy it, I'm passionate about it because it's making a difference for the kingdom. It's not building up our name, it's building up the name of Jesus that is most important. Now let's look at the context here. The context is there's a very ungodly man named Haman and he hates the Jews. And he has gone to the king and he is determined that he's going to destroy this godly man named Mordecai. He has gotten the king's permission to not only kill Mordecai, but to kill the Jews. Now that, at that time, some historians estimate that that would have been killing 5 million Jews in Persia at the time. And so Mordecai finds out about this and he urges Esther, who is the Jewish consort of the king, to intervene on behalf of her people. So what we're down to is one man who wants to destroy all the Jews, and he has gotten permission to do it. 
And one man who appeals to one woman and says, this is your moment, this is your time, and you are the only one that can make a difference here. You are the only one that can speak to the king on this matter. In those days, the queen had to be summoned. Uh, she could just not walk into the, the king's office or palace or wherever he lived or wherever she lived and say, i got a word for you. She had to be summoned, and so to go and not be summoned was the risk of her own life. Just to step into his presence without being called into his presence was to risk her life. And this final statement of Mordecai, where he pleads his case before Esther, he's saying to her, maybe this is your time. Maybe this is your hour. It is possible that the future of our people depends on you and what you do at this moment. You must intervene. There is such an urgency about this. This is a now call. This is a right now call. Now we need to understand that this call from Mordecai to Esther to go to the king could have cost her her life. She could have been killed before she even opened her mouth. But there was also the possibility that God would not only spare her, but spare her people. That God would intervene and turn the heart of the king, and it was a matter of choice. Was she going to be selfish and play it safe, or was she going to be sacrificial? This is the world we live in. We live in a world where our lives are in peril and in danger. Whether it is terrorism or crime on the streets or whatever else may happen, whether it is fear or anarchy or anger and angst in our country and polarization and politics failing us and politicians failing us all the time, we should not be surprised by that because politicians are not the solution to the world's problems. The church is the solution. The gospel is the solution to what needs to happen in the world. We need to see the moments in which we live. Yes, they are difficult. Yes, they are dangerous. But we need to be dynamic in those moments. Toynbee said of his time, our world was like a canoe on the brink of Niagara. At the same time, while all of this stuff is going on and, and people are anxious and filled with hate and worry and prejudice and everything else, this is a great time to be alive. It's a great time to share the gospel because God is separating out and showing us the difference between religion and true Christianity. The difference between checking a box and living out a life. He's showing us how to think kingdom-wise, how to have a kingdom vision, and the mission opportunities for us are unprecedented. Now, I want you to see this map of America. Uh, we have plants. We have 11 church plants right now, and all of this has happened because of your sacrificial giving. None of this would have happened. We would have no part, no voice, no history, no joy, no salvations to talk about had it not been for you doing what you've done. So we have two in Atlanta, 
We have two in Baltimore. Tali has two campuses. And we have two in Long Island City. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when Patrick was here, they have just established a Korean church, which has about 40 people in it that is also on Long Island City. So a plant has planted a church. So Tali has planted a church. So we've invested, and now we are the grandparents of two churches in America that did not even exist three or four years ago. And it's because of our faithfulness that God has allowed us to do this. Now, let me just keep that map up there for just a minute. There are, according to the North American Mission Board, 27 cities in America that have been identified as the most lost and unreached cities in America. They are the places where in the 1950s and 60s, people moved out of the city, moved into the suburbs. We lost church buildings. We lost influence in the cities. And out of the convenience of culture and our own feelings and sense of safety, we abandoned the cities to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the North American Mission Board, under the leadership of Kevin Ezell, said, it's time to go back and reclaim the cities. It's time that where we don't have churches or now nightclubs and apartment complexes, but we go back in and we reestablish the gospel in the cities of America. They have identified 27 cities that are over 95% lost and unchurched. And in those cities, we have churches, North American Mission Board has churches in all 27 of those cities. Here's my proposal to you. If we do what God wants us to do, if we accelerate this, if we move forward in the next few years, I want it to be said of us, which may not be said of any other church in the state of Georgia, I want it to be said of us that we have planted the gospel flag in all 27 cities that the North American Mission Board has said, we've got to go claim those cities for Christ. I want us to be the church that says we're going to plant a flag for the gospel of Jesus in those 27 cities around the country. Now that's going to require a lot of work. It requires us looking for the kind of men like we have now, like Tolly and Patrick and Ryan and Zach and Ben and, and Matt and others that we have that are planting churches. It requires finding guys, not just a guy who says, hey, I'd like to start a church. I got a couple of ideas. You know, if y'all help me and I could work for a couple of years, it doesn't work, I'll go do something else. That's not the guy we're looking for. We're looking for a guy who stands up like Patrick did and Matt did and Ryan did and say, I'm giving my life, the rest of my life, to struggling and fighting and building and praying and working to build a church that will reach people for the cause of Christ. That means that they've got to be guys that prayer is in their DNA and walking in the fullness of the Spirit is in their DNA. And they understand that apart from a move from God, they're not going to change those cities. Those cities are going to be just like they were and are unless God shows up and God moves in. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but we are planting the flag in the Galilee. Two churches in Israel. We found a brother in Christ over there to partner with, and uh, he has about 60 churches there. If you can imagine 
the financial strain on a pastor in Israel trying to plant a church, trying to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have two then in the area around the Sea of Galilee between there and the Mediterranean Sea that we're going to support because I believe that just as the gospel begins in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, the church has for centuries forsaken the Jewish people. And for centuries, centuries, the Catholic Church and even evangelicals blamed the Jews for the crucifixion of Christ. Hey, let me tell you something. Just in case you didn't know it, you're the reason Christ died. Not the Jews. You're the reason. They may have been the physical instruments with the Romans, but it's you and I that put him on the cross. And it is the ultimate of hypocrisy to say that we will continue to blame the Jews and ignore and never share the good news of Christ with them. They have the land that God decided to show up in at one point in time, in one person, all God, all man, showed up in one place as the Messiah. We owe it to some communities there to share good news with them. You and I get to influence the nations. We get to build the kingdom and cooperate with the Father in expanding the gospel message. We get to support missions around the world. We get to impact this community. Remember, there would be no Coke plant if there had not been a Meet the Need. If you've ever set foot in that facility, if you've ever seen that we did a food distribution out of there, if you knew that we did relief work out of there in the last three storms, there would have been no place to do that if we hadn't had contributions through Meet the Need. We would have been left on the sidelines observing, trying to figure out what to do. There would be no Legacy Park where a thousand people are there for ball games on Saturdays. There would be no SCA, the expansion of the campus. There would be no crisis pregnancy center expansion. There would be no renewed counseling center at the old library. All of that came about because of over and above and sacrificial giving. We would just be talking about paying off debt and doing what every other church limits itself to if it had not been for the faithfulness of people in this room and outside this room. We have a chance to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I don't know what it'll look like in all eternity, but I can tell you this. I don't want to stand before God and make excuses about what we didn't do. I want to stand before God and say, God, here's all that we sought to do in your name and for your glory. You see, we get to plant the flag. We get to hold the standard up. We get to start the churches, whether it's in Israel or Milwaukee or wherever else it is. By the way, the church plant in Orlando is doing incredible work. It's a young African-American pastor who has started there, and he's already running over 140. We've been in connection with him for about nine months, and he's already doing incredible things of reaching people in the Orlando area. Nothing is closed that cannot be open by the grace of God. Nothing is impossible if we cooperate with the Father. This world is hungry for good news. From Acre to Africa, from Doncaster to Denmark, from Barnesdale to Britain, 
from Whispering Pines to the corners of the world, from Sylvester to Scandinavia, from Albany to Albania, from Tifton to Trinidad and Leesburg to Libya and Latin America, we can make a difference with good news. We obviously have to have a strong Jerusalem because if a church is not healthy and if a church is not walking in unity and a church is not giving to the ongoing ministries of the church, you can't do what we're doing here. And God has allowed us to do both. And so as we rise to our responsibilities and embrace this challenge, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I on the sidelines or I'm in the game? Am I on the sidelines watching and cheering? Hey, that's great. That's good. That's good. I like that. I like being a part of does that. But are you doing it? Or are you just clapping? You see, you got to stop clapping to reach a wallet. Anybody can clap. But to give and to say that I have invested a part of my life and I have sacrificed in my life for such a time as this, that requires some adjustment and that requires some sacrifice and that requires some energy that we have to give. Listen, the majority of the world's population is under the age of 21. We have to reach the next generation. Whether they are in Israel, Milwaukee, or Albany, we've got to reach them. We've got to do our part. God has given us something to do. Mordecai said to Esther, you have, in a unique position, you have attained royalty. It was not by chance that there was a Jewish queen. God had ordained the circumstances and the time and the events in such a way that at a time when Israel was in peril, when the Jews were in peril of being destroyed, God had already known what was coming and he put a queen there to plead the case. God's not given us these privileges to squander or to hoard for ourselves. This is not so much about us coming to church or going to church. This is about us being the church in this world. Mordecai said to Esther, you're responsible. You can't pass the buck. You've attained royalty. Listen, God has given us a name that is beyond the city limits of Albany, Georgia. Because of all that we've done with missions and all that we've done with church planning, because of the movies and the other ministries that we've established in our mission trips, God has given us a name. But with a name doesn't mean you get to buy a t-shirt. It means you get to go to work. God does not give us privileges without responsibilities. He calls us to not just attain, but to not contain what God has done for us. As I was looking at what would happen today, I, I ran across Philip's translation of Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. And this really says it for me. I feel myself under a sort of universal obligation. I owe something to all men, from cultured Greek to ignorant savage. Don't forget. Mordecai insisted that she was responsible to be involved. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house 
will perish. See, this is our time. You are here. You are alive. You are breathing. You are taking up space. You're on the census rolls. You're on the church membership rolls for a reason. God has something he wants you to do. God has something he wants you to participate in. Some way, somehow. As uh, Claude King said a couple of years ago when he did our prayer conference about the, the praying hands, we start this new prayer study today in, in Bible study that the praying hands is not really the way that the Jews prayed. The Jews mostly prayed either on their faces or standing up with their hands lifted to the Lord. We got that idea of praying with folded hands from medieval times when there were servants and serfs and landowners who were obligated to a Lord. And they would go to the Lord and they would put their hands folded like this into the hands of the Lord and they would say, I'm your man. In other words, whatever that Lord of that castle said, I want you to do, they're saying, I'm your man. I will do it. I will make this happen. I'm your man. I'm the one. You can count on me. And to put their hands in there was a sign of surrender and a sign of understanding that they lived for a higher purpose than their own. Why do we take this much time to talk about giving every year? Because it matters. Because it matters. You may not ever go and see the church plant in Israel. You may never visit any of our church plants in the state. But what you do determines whether or not those people can stay on the ground and do the work that God has called them to do. I want you to watch this video. If you weren't here last week, this will remind you why we do what we do. friend of mine sent me a quote 
this morning about 8.45. He lives in another state. And he sent me this quote and it touched me. He said, I only have one candle of life to burn. And I choose to burn it out where there is darkness, not where there is light. Ladies and gentlemen, men and women, young people, you got one candle to burn. And when it gets snuffed out one day and they pronounce you dead somewhere, is it going to have burned for the gospel? Or is it going to have burned for t-shirts and technology and stuff that won't last and nothing that will go to the grave with you and nothing that will praise you that you lived? Or will it burn out for something that lives far beyond you? Will it burn out? Will your life burn out because you lit a candle to change the world from Albany, Georgia? Because God put you in a place where you could do that. And God gave you an opportunity to make a difference. Oh, we can do a lot of things. Whether we have a little or a lot, we can do a lot of things. But at the end of the day, most of it goes to goodwill or in the trash. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what we can take to eternity with us because Jesus said we're to lay up treasures in heaven. When we do this, when you take that pledge card and pray over it, I don't mean take it and just say, okay, I'll just, listen, that's your reasoning. Giving is out of revelation, not out of reason. Well, I gave this much this year, I'll give the same amount next year. Or I didn't give, I'm not going to give. Or I gave, but I'm not going to give as much. That's reasoning out. I'm asking you to pray over this next week and say, God, give me a figure. Give me a number. Give me an amount. And what he will give you will scare the stew out of you. Because he's asking you to operate in the realm of faith, not in the realm of black and red ink. He's asking you to trust him. You see, when God asks you to do something, he's already got a plan for how that's going to be accomplished. But you've got to trust him in it. And when God calls you to do something, he gives you the opportunity to trust him and to obey him. So I want you to pray with me right now. And I want you, as we've done in a lot of other ways, just circle yourself up with the Father. It's just you and your heavenly Father. Can you say to him right now, Father, I'm your man. I'm your woman. You can trust me. You can use me. I want to know how you want to use me. I want to know what you want to do through my life. I want to obey you in all things. Would you just right now just speak to the Father? Would you just ask him some questions? Lord, how do you want to use me to accelerate all of this? How do you want to use me to impact Israel? How do you want to use me to impact Milwaukee? How do you want to use me to change the world from Albany, Georgia? 
You see, you're not alone in asking that. Hundreds and hundreds of other people are going to ask that same question today in this service and in the next service. And God will give us the answer and God will make a way if we're willing to obey him. To just speak to the Father for just a moment before I close this prayer time and before Ken comes. Lord God of heaven, we are here for such a time as this. And lives are at stake, eternal lives are at stake. And God, you have raised us up. Over this past year, you have allowed this church family to be incredibly faithful in a time when there was so much turmoil and tragedy and hurt and pain in our community, yet you allowed us to be a city on a hill and a light that could not be hidden. And these people, your people, obeyed you and trusted you and believed you when it would have been easy to fold the tent and just write the year off. But because of obedience, You've positioned us for yet another opportunity. We don't know what 2018 is going to hold any more than we knew on January 2nd of last year what that year would hold. But we do know we have today. We have this opportunity to lay before you our willingness and our obedience to trust you in big and small things, some with a widow's might and some with significance but all, all able to participate in a way that can change lives. Lord, I praise you. Words are inadequate. I praise you for what you have done, and I praise you for this opportunity that we have. Lord, to take the gospel to Muslims who need to see that Jesus is the only way to heaven. To a Jewish nation that needs to know that their Messiah has already come. To a city that needs hope. That needs good news. You have placed us in this church and in our homes and around this region to make a difference. So I choose to embrace it, Lord. And I ask that you would raise up a legion of people who embrace the vision and the call so that Christ 
might be glorified in and through our lives as we preach and give for the kingdom of God. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.